My beloved brothers and sisters, as President Tanner has announced, we are pleased to announce today some developments affecting area and local church administration. May I say at the outset that what you will see and hear is the result of months of prayerful study and deliberation. <clears throat> this presentation about church councils is a not, a not a new program, but it is a re-emphasis of a principle based on the scriptures and in the traditional church government procedures. Some of you who live in the United States will recognize in this presentation nothing more than what is already being done at your interim meetings. Because this is such an important matter, I will stay with the written text, using visuals as needed. As I begin, however, I want you to know that this presentation has the wholehearted endorsement of the First Presidency, the Quorum of the Twelve, the First Council of the Seventy, and the presiding bishopric. We have no doubt that what we are presenting to you today will greatly facilitate communication and unity of various church, at various church levels and help move the kingdom forward. Some background may be helpful so you can more completely understand the significance of these developments. Throughout the history of the Church, it has been a practice that essentially ecclesiastical matters be administered by the Quorum of the Twelve, and that essentially temporal affairs be administered by the presiding bishopric. This pra practice continues to this day. You are all, of course, familiar with the traditional administrative channel of authority to the field, from the First Presidency, the Quorum of the Twelve, the Presidency of the First Quorum of Seventy, the area supervisor, the regional representatives, state presidents, and bishops. This channel of authority remains unchanged. More recently, because of the need to carefully manage temporal matters in the field, approval was given to have a presiding bishopric area supervisor in certain countries of the world. He has worked in close cooperation with the General Authority Area Supervisor and has reported his responsibilities on temporal matters to the presiding bishopric, who in turn report to the First Presidency. The principle we desire to reemphasize was well expressed by President Stephen L. Richards, First Counselor to President David O. McKay, in these words. As I conceive it, the genius of our Church government is government through councils. The Council of the Presidency, the Council of the Twelve, the Council of the State Presidency, the Council of the Bishopric. I have had enough experience to know the value of councils. I see the wisdom, God's wisdom, in creating councils to govern His kingdom. In the spirit under which we labor, men can get together with seemingly divergent views, 
and four different backgrounds. And under the operation of the Spirit, by counseling together, they can arrive at an accord." Unquote. The First Presidency, the Quorum of the Twelve, and the Presiding Bishopric have determined to organize council meetings at the general church level and the area and region levels. These councils will be called the Church Coordinating Council at the general level, an area council, multi-region council only if needed, regional council, and the presently existing stake and ward correlation councils. We have felt that in order to be effective, these councils need to be comprehensive in representing all church programs so that there will be a correlating, coordinating, planning, and resolving body at each of these levels. These councils, properly organized and functioning, assure a unified approach to the management of ecclesiastical and temporal affairs. It has also been determined that the General Authority Area Supervisor's title will be changed to Executive Administrator. And outside the United States and Canada, the presiding bishopric Area Supervisor title will be changed to Director for Temporal Affairs. These title changes take effect immediately. In the United States and Canada, the presiding bishopric will appoint individuals either from church headquarters or from the local area to represent and manage temporal activities. Now may I say a word to all who will participate in the administration of these councils at the area, region, and other local levels. The Twelve continue to be vitally interested in temporal matters. Residing bishopric continue to be vitally concerned with ecclesiastical matters. To us, it is one great program. This division of responsibility is intended for administrative convenience. All things are spiritual to the Lord. I'll now speak briefly about each of these councils at the respective levels. First, the Church Coordinating Council. This council is comprised of the First Presidency, the Quorum of the Twelve, and the Presiding Bishopric. The Presidents of the First Quorum of Seventy will be invited to attend the meetings of this council and will also be invited to the General Welfare Services Committee. The Church Coordinating Council will set policy authorize exceptions to policy, authorize implementation, and resolve any difficulties which remain unresolved at the area council level. Communications between the Church Coordinating Council and area administrations will proceed through the ecclesiastical and temporal lines. The Church Coordinating Council will also set priorities insofar as they desire to do so, so that area and region councils can function within guidelines. 
This will help us meet the urgent need to balance the distribution of available resources, both time and money, which are to be given to various church programs and efforts. For example, suppose recommendations from the combined area councils of the church show a need for 800 buildings during a given year. But the church has only time and money resources for 600 buildings. The church coordinating council would then determine where resources are needed most. This council will also review and approve overall plans for ecclesiastical and temple matters before policies are implemented. Second, the area council. The primary council in the field for correlating, coordinating, planning, and resolving problems is the area council. This council will function under the direction of the executive administrator. The area council will consider items of local concern and will transmit headquarters approved programs and activities to all regional and stake officers. The area council should meet at least quarterly. Regional representatives will attend the area council meetings and will work closely with the executive administrator. Regional representatives will be line officers to the stake president with certain exceptions which have been noted to them. In this system of councils, the regional representative is best viewed as an administrator. He now becomes accountable for administering church affairs at the region level. The region council will develop the strategic plan for the area, broad guideline outli outlines outlining major activities and major objectives. Personnel on the temporal side will do the detailed planning work for temporal affairs. Regional representatives, mission presidents when invited, and state presidents when invited will, be, will do detailed planning for ecclesiastical affairs. Both the executive administrator and appointed personnel for temporal affairs will present these overall plans to the area council for review and approval before such plans are implemented. Let us look at the implementation of the area council internationally, then within the United States and Canada. Membership in the area council outside the United States and Canada will include the executive administrator, the director for temporal affairs, and all regional representatives in the area. Others invited to attend when items relating to their responsibilities are discussed will be the welfare services area manager, the physical facilities area manager, the finance area manager, the materials management area manager, the information system area manager, the church educational system area director, and a church service public communications area director. Mission presidents could be invited by the executive administrator if needed. The responsibilities 
of the executive administrator throughout the world will be, one, preside over and provide ecclesiastical leadership in the area. Two, to preside in all area council meetings. Three, to set priorities. Four, to control planning. Five, to regulate within policy. Six, to train. The Director for Temporal Affairs will have the responsibility to, one, manage operations to serve ecclesiastical needs, assist in planning, three, provide technical services, and four, assist in training. While both the Executive Administrator, General Authority, and the Director for Temporal Affairs representing the presiding bishopric have independent stewardships there to accomplish common ends. To coordinate all area affairs, an executive committee of the Council is authorized outside the United States and Canada, composed of the executive administrator and the director for temporal affairs. They would mutually determine the Council agenda, plan guidelines, and determine which temporal functions need to be represented at each quarterly council meeting. They will be assisted by a secretary. Through this cooperative effort, their separate reporting relationships are respected, but common purposes are achieved. The executive committee will ordinarily meet weekly, or as often as circumstances require. Now a look at the area council in the United States and Canada. Membership on the Area Council will be the Executive Administrator and all regional representatives in the area. Mission Presidents could be invited by the Executive Administrator if needed. Others who may be invited to attend when items relating to their responsibilities are discussed are Welfare Services Area Director, a Church Service Public Communications Area Director, the Church Educational System Area Director and others as necessary. Welfare Services matters will not be discussed without the presence and participation of the Welfare Services Area Director. The implementation of the Area Council within the United States and Canada will vary from the Area Council outside the United States and Canada, since there are no directors for temporal affairs in the United States or in Canada. Consequently, headquarters departments, in consultation with the Executive Administrator, will assign designated individuals for the functions of welfare services and physical facilities. These individuals will work closely with the Executive Administrator and will attend the area council as needed. The presiding bishopric will assign personnel for temporal matters or approve invitations for headquarters staff to attend periodic area council meetings. These individuals assigned by the presiding bishopric will have the responsibility to, one, manage operating operations to service ecclesiastical needs. Two, assist in planning. Three, provide technical services. Four, assist in training. Third, 
the multi-region and region councils. Welfare services activities require councils at the multi-region level. Let us now look at the multi-region council. Multi-region councils are authorized for welfare services activities. The executive administrator presides at these councils and procedures will parallel those of the area council. Membership on the multi-region council consists of the executive administrator, the welfare services director, as he deems necessary, the regional representatives of the region involved, and the multi-region welfare services director. A stake bishop's council chairman and a stake relief society president from one of the region councils designated by the executive administrator serve as members when welfare service matters are discussed. Multi-region councils meet on an as-needed basis. We shall now look at the composition of a region council. Membership on a region council consists of the regional representative and stake presidents. Others invited to attend when items relating to their responsibilities are discussed are the welfare services region agent, public communications region directors, the church educational system region coordinator, and other representatives of ecclesiastical and temporal programs as necessary. A stake bishop's council chairman and a stake relief society president designated by the regional representative should attend when welfare services matters are discussed. Mission presidents could be invited with the approval of the executive administrator. The Region Council will handle administration and correlation matters of a multiple stake nature as well as communicate and implement all actions of the General Church area or multi-region council. Region Council meetings will be held at least quarterly. For simplification and to avoid unnecessary travel, interim meetings may continue and could well become a meeting of the Region Council. The Region Representative performs duties parallel, paralleling those of the Executive Administrator in the Area Council. In order to facilitate the work of the Region Council, it will be necessary to have a Church Service Welfare Services Region Agent who represents welfare services operations at the region level. Fourth, stake councils. The composition of the stake correlation council and the stake welfare services committee remains the same. Fifth, ward councils. The same emphasis on church councils applies at the ward level. Membership on the ward correlation council and the Ward Welfare Services Committee is not changed. Again, the complete overview of the system of councils at the various levels will appear as illustrated. Last, family councils. 
I mention family councils because of our persistent emphasis on family unity and family solidarity. By encouraging parents to hold family councils, we imitate in our homes a heavenly pattern. Now a word to you, my brethren, the stake presidents. This is a time of transition. Many of the duties affecting such activities as welfare services, public communications previously handled by stake presidents will now be handled by regional representatives. We do not want to have ongoing operations interrupted during this time of transition. Stake presidents and others presently responsible should go on doing what they are now doing in their region, multi region or area assignments until they are officially released by the executive administrator. During the transition, it may be necessary for executive administrators to meet with representatives of the church educational system, public communications, and especially the Welfare Services Department so that all aspects of the work, including the calling and releasing of church service personnel, may be carefully considered. Now a concluding word. There is a principle cited in the Doctrine and Covenants which, though directed specifically to the leading quorums of the Church, applies to all councils in Church government. I quote from section 107. And every decision made by either of these quorums, and for our purpose we could substitute the word councils, must be by unanimous voice of the same. That is, every member in each quorum council must be agreed to its decisions. The decisions of the quorums or councils are to be made in righteousness, in holiness and lowliness of heart, meekness and long-suffering, and in faith and virtue and knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. Because the promise is, if these things abound in them, they shall not be unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord. This seems to me to be the pattern by which the Lord would have us operate through priesthood councils at all levels of Church government. We must be one in all aspects of this work, ecclesiastical, ecclesiastically and temporally, for all things are spiritual to him whom we acknowledge as master. You can see that this is a great step toward achieving greater unity in managing the affairs of the Church. We as priesthood holders need to act in the manner which the Lord instructs in the revelation just quoted. Brethren and sisters, we want you to know that our whole interest has been to do what is best for the kingdom. Today we are taking a step which is for the good of the kingdom. May the Lord bless us in our efforts as we implement this system of priesthood councils so that we, 
under the operation of the Spirit may have greater unity, accord, and effectiveness in building the Lord's kingdom, which I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I stand before the church this day and raise the warning voice. It is a prophetic voice, for I shall say only what the apostles and prophets have spoken concerning our day. It is the voice of Jesus on the Mount of Olives, of John on the Isle of Patmos, of Joseph Smith during the mobbings and murders of Missouri. It is a voice calling upon the Lord's people to prepare for the troubles and desolations which are about to be poured out upon the world without measure. For the moment, we live in a day of peace and prosperity, but it shall not ever be thus. Great trials lie ahead. All of the sorrows and perils of the past are but a foretaste of what is yet to be, and we must prepare ourselves temporally and spiritually. Our spiritual preparation consists in keeping the commandments of God and taking the Holy Spirit for our guide, so that when this life is over, we shall find rest and peace in paradise and an ultimate inheritance of glory and honor in the celestial kingdom. Our temporal preparation consists in using the good earth in the way the Lord designed and intended, so as to supply all our just wants and needs. It is His purpose to provide for His saints, for all things are His, but, He says, it must needs be done in his own way. There is a common axiom among us which states, a religion that cannot save a man temporally does not have power to save him spiritually. If we cannot care for our temporal needs in this world, how can we ever succeed in spiritual things in the world to come? Thus speaking of temporal things, of lands and houses and crops, of work and sweat and toil, of the man Adam eating his bread in the sweat of his face, the Lord says, If you will that I give unto you a place in the celestial world, you must prepare yourselves by doing the things which I have commanded you and required of you. Then he commands both the Church and its members to prepare and organize their temporal affairs according to the law of his gospel, that through my providence, saith the Lord, notwithstanding the tribulation which shall descend upon you, that the Church may stand independent above all other creatures beneath the celestial world, that you may come up under the crown prepared for you and be made rulers over many kingdoms, saith the Lord God. 
the church which administers the gospel and the saints who have received the gospel must be independent of all the powers of earth as they work out their salvation temporally and spiritually with fear and trembling before the Lord. Be it remembered that tribulations lie ahead. There will be wars in one nation and kingdom after another until war is poured out upon all nations and 200 million men of war mass their armaments at Armageddon. Peace has been taken from the earth. The angels of destruction have begun their work, and their swords shall not be sheathed until the Prince of Peace comes to destroy the wicked and usher in the great millennium. There will be earthquakes and floods and famines. The waves of the sea shall heave themselves beyond their bounds. The clouds shall withhold their rain, and the crops of the earth shall wither and die. There will be plagues and pestilences and disease and death. An overflowing scourge shall cover the earth, and a desolating sickness shall sweep the land. Flies shall take hold of the inhabitants of the earth, and maggots shall come in upon them. Their flesh shall fall from off their bones and their eyes from their sockets. Bands of Gadianton robbers will infest every nation. Immorality and murder and crime will increase, and it will seem as though every man's hand is against his brother. We need not dwell more upon these things. We are commanded to search the scriptures where they are recounted with force and fervor, and they shall surely come to pass. It is one of the sad heresies of our time that peace will be gained by weary diplomats as they prepare treaties of compromise, or that the millennium will be ushered in because men learn to live in peace and to keep the commandments, or that the predicted plagues and promised desolations of latter days can in some way be avoided. We must do all we can to proclaim peace, to avoid war, to heal disease, to prepare for natural disasters. But with it all, that which is to be shall be. Knowing what we know and having the light and understanding that has come to us, we must, as individuals and as a church, use our talents, strengths, energies, abilities, and means to prepare for whatever may befall us and our children. We know that the world will go on in wickedness until the end of the world, which is the destruction of the wicked. We shall continue to live in the world, but with the Lord's help we shall not be of the world. We shall strive to overcome carnality and worldliness of every sort and shall invite all men to flee from Babylon, join with us, and live as becometh saints. As the saints of the Most High, we shall strive to stand independent above all other creatures 
beneath the celestial world. Our only hope is to free ourselves from the bondage of sin, to rid ourselves from the chains of darkness, to rise above the world, to live godly and upright lives. Relying always on the Lord, we must become independent of the world. We must be self-reliant. Using the agency God has given us, we must work out our own economic and temporal problems. We are here on earth to work, to work long, hard, arduous hours, to work until our backs ache and our tired muscles knot, to work all our days. This mortal probation is one in which we are to eat our bread in the sweat of our faces until we return to the dust from whence we came. Work is the law of life. It is the ruling principle in the lives of the saints. We cannot, while physically able, voluntarily shift the burden of our own support to others. Doles abound in evils. Industry, thrift, and self-respect are essential to salvation. We must maintain our own health, sow our own gardens, store our own food, educate and train ourselves to handle the daily affairs of life. No one else can work out our salvation for us, either temporally or spiritually. We are here on earth to care for the needs of our family members. Wives have claim on their husbands for their support, children upon their parents, parents upon their children, brothers upon each other, and relatives upon their kin. It is the aim of the Church to help the saints to care for themselves and, where need be, to make food and clothing and other necessaries available lest the saints turn to the doles and evils of Babylon. To help care for the poor among them, the Church must operate farms, grow vineyards, run dairies, manage factories, and 10,000 other things, all in such a way as to be independent of the powers of evil in the world. We do not know when the calamities and troubles of the latter days will fall upon any of us as individuals or upon bodies of the saints. The Lord deliberately withholds from us the day and the hour of his coming and of the tribulations which shall precede it, all as part of the testing and probationary experiences of mortality. He simply tells us to watch and be ready. We can rest assured that if we have done all in our power to prepare for whatever lies ahead, he will then help us with whatever else we need. He rained manna from heaven upon all Israel, six days each week for forty years, lest they perish for want of bread. But the manna ceased on the morrow after they ate of the parched corn of Canaan. They then were required to supply their own food. During forty years in the wilderness, the clothes worn by all Israel 
wax not old and their shoes wear not out. But when they entered their promised land, then the Lord required them to provide their own wearing apparel. When there was a famine in the land, at Elijah's word, a certain barrel of meal did not waste, and a certain cruise of oil did not fail, until the Lord sent again rain on the earth. And it is worthy of note, as Jesus said, that though there were many widows in Israel, unto one only was Elijah sent. We do not say that all of the saints will be spared and saved from the coming day of desolation. But we do say there is no promise of safety and no promise of security except for those who love the Lord and who are seeking to do all that he commands. It may be, for instance, that nothing except the power of faith and the authority of the priesthood can save individuals and congregations from the atomic holocausts that surely shall be. And so we raise the warning voice and say, Take heed, prepare, watch, and be ready. There is no security in any course except the course of obedience and conformity and righteousness. For thus saith the Lord, The Lord's scourge shall pass over by night and by day, and the report thereof shall vex all people, yea, it shall not be stayed until the Lord come. Nevertheless, Zion shall escape if she observe to do all things whatsoever I have commanded her, saith the Lord. But if she observe not to do whatsoever I have commanded her, I will visit her according to all her works, with sore affliction, with pestilence, with plague, with sword, with vengeance, with devouring fire. O God, our Father, wilt thou grant us peace and security and safety in the days of tribulation that shall come like a whirlwind upon all the earth. Wilt thou hedge up the evil powers and open up the way before us, thy people, that as individuals and as a church we may stand independent of every creature beneath the celestial world? And wilt thou enfold us everlastingly in the arms of thy love and finally, wilt thou save us with an everlasting salvation in thy kingdom, for all of which we pray, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. My dear brothers and sisters, I hope you have been able to grasp at least a small part of the significance associated with President Benson's presentation. It is a most significant step forward in church government, one which will aid the priesthood to prepare for even greater church growth than ever before. It will introduce a more effective level of planning and decision-making than ever before. 
I stand in awe as I witness the hand of the Lord direct his servants in this his kingdom. The introduction of councils at the region, multi-region, and area levels is a most important move. The presiding bishopric expressed our enthusiastic, wholehearted support of all that has been said. As you are aware, the presiding bishopric under the direction of the First Presidency has the responsibility for, the administering, for administering many of the temporal affairs of the Church. These include physical facilities, finance, welfare services, materials management, and information systems. We administer this network of temporal functions to support and service priesthood needs and Church activities throughout the world. They are managed in the United States and Canada through our headquarters department managing directors and their management teams. A limited number of these departments are decentralized, such as operations and maintenance. Outside the United States and Canada, these functions are all decentralized and are managed in each area of the world by directors for temporal affairs. Each area office is responsible for all the activities listed above. I would like to add further dimension to the four major accountabilities our personnel have in performing their service functions. Since some of these responsibilities, particularly in welfare services, have been carried out to this point by stake presidents, local committees, and others, I hope you will take special note of them. First, we are to manage operations to service ecclesiastical needs. This means that temporal personnel will manage the acquisition of land, construction of buildings, the operation of desert industries, storehouses, employment centers, social service agencies, and the distribution of materials and so, and so forth. This does not include welfare production projects. The management team in each of the five headquarters departments and the directors for temporal affairs are each responsible to prepare budgets, control activities, monitor performance, conform to legal and tax constraints, and most importantly, get the job done. We recognize this to be a significant responsibility. Second, we are to assist in planning through the Area Council. The strategic planning, while developed mutually by the ecclesiastical and temporal leaders, is directed by the executive administrator. The detailed work, sometimes referred to as tactical planning, is done chiefly by temporal personnel. This includes, but is not limited to, the securing of information appropriate to each department or function, calculating temporal assistance needs, forecasting printed material needs, preparing cost projections, preparing temporal sections of welfare services master plans, and so forth. <clears throat> Third, we are to provide a broad range of technical services. Examples of such services include the design of meeting houses, conducting operational audits on welfare farms, installing membership systems, and so forth. Fourth, we are to assist in training. Where, when, and to what extent is determined in the Area Council. The training assistance available includes both the preparation of materials and the instruction in technical aspects of our services. These responsibilities are to be, to be performed at the lowest possible cost and in the most efficient manner possible. This is true regardless of the part of the world in which we are involved. 
In several selected areas of the Church, our staff have been performing these functions. I have been grateful to observe that as temporal personnel properly perform their responsibilities, a heavy burden requiring much time and effort has been removed from the ecclesiastical leaders. An example of what has taken place is found in the Boise-Idaho multi-region, where the essential cooperative and coordinating process, which forms the basis for the Council concept, has been operating for the past year. We have witnessed a dramatic increase in local welfare self-sufficiency. They have increased the number of locally grown products from 7 to 26, a threefold increase. They have increased the number of locally canned products from 3 to 11 and have almost eliminated cash assessment. It has been reduced from $76,000 to less than $3,000. Furthermore, the 1980 plans call for producing 18 additional items. This means they will be producing the 44 basic food products contained in the Bishop's Order. In addition, they anticipate significant increases in the integration of the flow of products from farms. For example, a dairy operation in the welfare program will buy its hay from another welfare farm which produced the hay. Over time, this means they will be selling fewer items on the open market and using more of what they produce within the storehouse resource system. All of this has happened because priesthood leaders in the Boise area caught the vision of what could be done and then developed a plan with the assistance of temporal officers. Plans were then carried out, resulting in substantial progress toward desired self-sufficiency. President Benson has uh, instructed us in the overall concept of these councils, which I need not repeat. However, an important difference between the organization of area councils in the United States and Canada with those organized in international areas should be emphasized. The presiding bishopric has not appointed directors for temporal affairs within the United States and Canada because circumstances do not require them. Therefore, headquarters functional departments, which are decentralized, such as welfare services, or those who have heavy field activities, such as the physical facilities department, will assign an area director or other individuals designated by the presiding bishopric and their managing directors to interface with the executive administrators. These individuals in the United States and Canada will have the same duties and responsibilities pertaining to their functions as the Director for Temporal Affairs has collectively in international areas. In the United States and Canada, where we have extensive welfare services operations, it will require several weeks before all welfare services areas, area directors are appointed. We ask, therefore, that all field staff maintain their present reporting relationships and continue their present activities until each new organization is installed in conjunction with an area council meeting. Also at this meeting, you will be informed as to how this change will affect your area and function. Multi-region and region councils are organized to administer and correlate activities which involve more than one region or state, as well as to communicate and implement area, area council decisions. The organizational structure of multi-region and region councils is identical 
for the United States and Canada and all international areas. An important difference between the Area Council and the multi-region region councils is that membership at the multi-region and region levels is expanded to include the present Welfare Services Councils or committees. This simply means that the Chairman of the Stake Bishops Council and the designated Stake Relief Society President will also attend Council meetings as voting members whenever Welfare Services matters are discussed. Outside the United States and Canada, the Director for Temporal Affairs will see that appropriate temporal representatives attend multi-region and region council meetings when agenda items relating to their particular functions are discussed. To me, one of the most significant aspects of this council approach is the opportunity for the establishment of priorities and plans for each area. As directed by the ecclesiastical line, each executive administrator will develop the priorities that meet the needs of his area. Much of what we as temple officers do will be in response to these priorities. This is particularly true regarding the welfare services effort of the Church. Over the years, I have heard local leaders ask many times, what should we be doing in our ward, our stake, or our region? What aspects of welfare services should we be pursuing? I am sure that every priesthood leader here has at one time or another asked himself these questions. This is particularly true of leaders whose stakes are not in the Western United States, where welfare work has been underway for over 40 years. Because of the magnitude of welfare services, particularly the operations of the storehouse resource system, it requires considerable study in order to prepare to ask the Lord if our proposed plan is right and have Him confirm its acceptability. The First Presidency has counseled priesthood leaders, quote, carefully and prayerfully develop a plan, unquote. That will foster the local self-sufficiency of the Church. This, this is important in light of changing needs, rapid Church growth, the uncertainty of modern times, the obligation of the Church to care for its members in need and the Lord's commandment to be independent. However, this must be done in an orderly way and on a timely basis. As members of the General Welfare Services Committee visit with you at conference time and during visits to your areas through the world, we find an increasing desire on the part of local leaders to become involved in the broader aspects of welfare services. Indeed, we sense that many leaders come to General Conference and see welfare services operations here in the Mountain West in a very advanced stage and return home strongly motivated to duplicate what they have observed here. Without proper planning, this can lead to premature implementation, frustration, and even failure for both leaders and members. Because we recognize that there are varying circumstances, such as diversity of needs, timeliness, and availability of resources, we have developed planning tools and a planning process to aid you in your efforts. We believe there are two types of planning. They can best be described as first, basic planning, and second, master planning. Basic planning is rather informal and occurs primarily on the ward level. Each bishop does it as an integral part and a natural part of holding ward welfare services committee meetings. As, it as its name suggests, it covers only the basic and includes organizing welfare services committees and councils, 
teaching gospel principles relating to welfare services, fostering personal and family preparedness, and assisting members from fast-offering donations. When an area or region is sufficiently mature and is prepared to set up a storehouse resource system, then more extensive and in-depth planning is required. This kind of planning is referred to as Welfare Services Master Planning. Welfare Services Master Planning is the process of, first, developing a plan for teaching welfare services principles, second, identifying needs of the poor and needy and the distressed, third, programming Church resources to meet those needs. When the Master Plan is fully implemented, there will exist within an area those elements of the storehouse resource system required to assist bishops in caring for the Lord's poor and distressed. The purposes of the master, plan, uh, master planning can be achieved best through a phased approach. Phase one relates to strategic or big-picture matters. The product of phase one planning is a description of Church welfare services in an area as it currently exists and what it eventually should and will become. Phase two relates to tactical or operational matters. The product of phase two will be a blueprint for the timely implementation of the storehouse resource system so that the area or zone may become self-sufficient. There are seven steps in the master planning process. Through the area council, ecclesiastical and temporal officers are to prepare and implement a formal area plan for teaching principles and programs complete a needs and resources survey, review and adjust the bishop's stock list, study local conditions and constraints, such as legal, tax, agricultural, and so forth, prepare a map showing ecclesiastical boundaries and proposed placement of facilities and projects, recommend needed projects, facilities, and services, submit the plan to the General Welfare Services Committee for approval. While the process of master planning is not complicated, it does require some time and effort. We hope that under the guidance of your respective executive administrators, each regional representative and stake president will respond to the need for welfare services master planning. Please recognize that the, most complete, the more completely you plan, the better we are jointly able to control the appropriate implementation of welfare services in your area. Our welfare services personnel stand ready to do their part. They have the forms, the experience, and the perspective which, coupled with your inspiration and insight into local needs, can produce a blueprint to guide welfare services implementation for years to come. Now may I give one example of both basic and master planning. Some of you may recall a brief report I gave last October on the Church branch in Baramahillo, Mexico with the help of welfare services, with the welfare services missionaries. The branch president and his welfare services committee undertook some basic planning to apply the very basic welfare services program of the church in their branch. Their work resulted in significant changes in the lives of church members. They painted their homes, penned their livestock, and taught the essentials of personal and family preparedness, emphasizing good health practices. The results today are that a chapel under, is under construction with most of the work being done by the members, including making their own bricks. President Mortensen, the mission president, indicates that the branch is now a ward 
Nearly every family has a garden. Some even produce honey from bees. Most families have started a year's supply of food. Convert baptisms have increased sharply in the past year. All this has happened because Bishop Castaneda, a convert of eight years, had the vision of how to lead his people in living the gospel in Baramahillo. Basic planning starting with the welfare of his members and reaching out to touch every facet of their lives has lifted this ward to heights previously not thought possible. Now may I turn to an example here in the United States where conditions are considerably different. The Georgia-Alabama multi-region undertook the seven-step process of master planning. After the plan was approved at headquarters, it was implemented through the Welfare Services Director, his agents, and in concert with state welfare services committees and the two region councils that comprise this multi-region. In the 15 succeeding months, they have acquired 23 production projects. Previously, they had none. They have raised funds for a storehouse which is presently under construction and should be open by late summer. An LDS social service office has also been opened. Bishops have been better trained in caring for the needy, and the saints have felt a great upsurge of security by being a part of this effort. They all have less need to fear than they had 15 months ago. For the Lord said, If ye are prepared, ye, ye shall not fear. As we witness what takes place when priesthood and temporal leaders catch the vision of what the Lord expects, and then working in the proper councils, plan well, then execute the plan, we see the fulfillment of the teaching of modern prophets as well as those of ancient times. May we go forth from this conference with a desire to learn our duty and act in the office in which we are appointed in all diligence. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.